rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. time is now 8.02 a.m. Wake up, wake up, up your wake, up your wake. We hope that you are well rested and ready to go on this Monday. It is June 22nd and the time is now 8.20, or excuse me, 8.02 a.m. It's a nice warm day outside, a little bit cloudy, might get some rain. If it rains with this amount of heat, it's going to be very humid today, so watch out for that and stay hydrated. Today's a good show, a very good show. We are joined today with the Sheriff of Kane County, Ron Hain. Give him a round of applause real quick. Good morning, gentlemen. All right. Until we get the clap button, all claps will be live with real hands. Uh, that's we even al- better than this. <laughs> <laughs> we also have my brother and co-host Sal in the house. How you doing? First Happy time. To be here. First time. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. So today we're going to have a great in-depth interview with the Sheriff of Kane County. And we are going to learn about himself, the Kane County Sheriff's Office, and then you guys know how we do it. Life and everything in between in the city of Aurora as well. So without further ado, Sheriff Hain, thanks for coming on to Good Morning Aurora this morning. Uh, so the audience can get to know you. Uh, tell us about yourself. Where were you born and raised? Sure. So thanks for having me, first of all. Mm-hmm. Born and raised, uh, well, I should start with, honestly, Hinsdale, Illinois. Oh, wow. When I was two years old. <laughs> when I, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that doesn't apply to me because when I was two, ah. moved out here to Kane County. So yes. I grew up in Elburn. Uh, Central Kane, kind of rural, went to St. Charles High School and uh, wanted to be a Kane County Sheriff's Deputy since I was four years old. Um, And and my mom reminded me of that uh, coming up through school. And and I never lost sight of that goal of of being a Kane County Sheriff's Deputy. I'm not sure why it was wearing that specific badge, but um, hey, I I followed that dream. And I've been at the Sheriff's Office now for uh, 22 years Mm -hmm. and uh, elected sheriff a year and a half ago. Congratulations, congratulations. I remember that, too. I remember that. Or condolences, depending on what day it is. (laughs) Mostly congratulations. (laughs) I said it with any job, right? Right. (laughs) Um, Now, so you went to, you graduated from St. Charles High School. Yep. Uh, Can you tell us about your education after that, after high school? So I, uh, I did what a lot of guys do, and I went to Wabonzi Community College, got my two-year associate's degree. Shout so out, Wabonzi Community College. Yes, yep. right here. Uh, right here in Aurora. I was a police cadet. Used nice. to work the uh, Wabonzi <laughs> campus. Uh, Dedicated. <laughs> as a police cadet, <laughs> out in Sugar Grove, too. 
Um, and that was it. You know, I, I went on to uh, to chase down that uh, police career. Got hired uh, right at 21 and a half years old. So nice. imagine nice. that when you were 21 and a half. Yeah. Getting a badge and a gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. Yeah, yeah. I, I look yeah, back on that, that going, wow, I'm, I'm fortunate to be alive. That's yeah. good. Um, now, growing up, what impact did your mom have on your life? Uh, gigantic impact. So my dad died my senior year of high school. And so kind of going into my later years of high school, uh, I had this goal of probably going to uh, the military and, uh, you know, getting a four-year degree right. after that. And uh, when that happened, then uh, my mom lived on kind of a small farm at, in, in Elburn. So I'm like, you know what? All my older siblings were gone out of the house. So I'm like, I'm going to stay home and take care of mom. Right. So that's what shifted my, uh, my goal to just stay local and go to the uh, community college here. Very cool. Oh, yeah, you definitely have a sense of empathy. I could just tell from your aura, and I'm sure that, right. you know, having to do that and care for people, you know, makes you, you know, the officer you are today. Yeah, no, right. it's a, that's a great thing to point out. Thank you for that, Sal. It's, it's uh, you know, that's what drives everything that I do, and that's a, a culture that I try and push on the entire sheriff's office is a culture of empathy. Right. Um, and, for the, uh, and for the audience, we are going to, uh, in, in this show, dig into the initiatives undertaken by yourself underneath the or the King County Sheriff's Office under your leadership, um, as opposed to the past, what those differences may have been and um, the current steps and everything like that. Um, so what is the difference between a sheriff's deputy and a policeman? Really no difference at all. So uh, a sheriff's deputy is a police officer. They go okay. through the exact same certification. They are charged with serving court documents, uh, which local police officers uh, typically are now. So we're talking everything from, I don't want to get boring here, but orders of protection mm -hmm. to civil paperwork out of the courthouses. Right. Uh, we're we're uh, responsible for, all, for holding all arrest warrants in Kane County. So we have a warrants division. Our deputies will serve those. So they have a little expanded duties under that capacity, but uh, essentially the exact same job as a municipal officer. Okay. Yeah, now and, you... And what doesn't seem boring, and the thing why I think it's important for listeners to hear is is because, I mean, some people and some kids right now just think, whatever, you know, the police is just there to take them away. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, when they know, like, these, you know, like, that's a big deal. Like, the, those documents, those things, like, order of protection might give someone able to leave their house. Right. Yeah. Knowledge is power, y'all. Knowledge is power. Yeah, that's right. 100%. <laughs> sure. Yep. Um, now, you coach as well. Well, that's so, a... yeah. So, basically, you know, we had, you know, I coached with Bernie, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a, such a great guy. And you said what you're trying to instill in the uh you know the sheriff's department and as a coach myself coached at marmion sbuis esp baseball you know the whole whole type thing and you know when when you feel like the world's against you like look at the astros right now like thank god they didn't have a season this year like right you know those guys might not be alive i don't know i would have liked to watch that ball i would have <laughs> ah, like, they deserve player, that yeah, yeah as a ball player i mean come on that was aggravating like yeah. the, the, the electronic device like hey if you have so if you pick a guy's signs and you like say, all right, I'm gonna say your last name. Like, okay, there's a certain level that they start using the electric. Yeah. Um, so, but how important is that, like, for them to look to you as a leader? Because, you know, if you feel like the world's against you, and there's so many narratives out about you, like it could be any team. Every mm -hmm. every team goes through this when you got nothing. Like, how does your experience working with youth, you know, kind of help you? That's a great question. Yeah. You know, so I've coached since. 
by my mid-20s, kids at all age levels, football, baseball, and basketball. And being a sheriff is really no different than being a coach, right? You got to get everybody in the right seats on the bus, and you got to get the bus headed in the right direction. So everyone has their role, everybody has their objective, and as long as they feel supported, and as long as they feel like they've got a good bus driver in front of them, you know, a good leader, a good coach, uh, they are excited to perform. And that's kind of that culture again, but not only culture of empathy, but that's what we've built in at the sheriff's office over the last year and a half is, look, I'm not saying this, it's all me. Mm-hmm. I got an outstanding command staff yeah, that, right. uh, that supports our operations. And I hear it all the time from our, our frontline personnel. You know, Sheriff, it, it is our pleasure to work under the, the uh, command staff that you've built and, and the leadership and examples that you guys set. So when you have that up front, same as being a coach, when your kids believe that you believe in them and you're giving them all the tools that they need to succeed, when your police officers, when your deputies, your corrections officers believe that you believe in them and right. you've given them all the tools to succeed, that bus goes forward fantastically. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I like that I saw that uh, has been installed in your leadership is that uh, detainees are referred to as residents as opposed to inmates or whatever the case may be. Um, That goes a long way in establishing just a basic level of human decency. And uh, I can't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I did see a breakdown that showed that assaults by uh, inmates against staff or uh, possession of contraband, all those negatives that happen in a, you know, a detention facility are down. And that's Really good. That's really good. I have to give credit to uh, Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton and her team for giving me the term resident. Shout out to Lieutenant Governor Stratton. Yeah, yeah they yeah. came there. They were there was a visit. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So that's where I, I embrace that term. I still sometimes have to use the name DPD sure, or sure. inmate, yeah, much sure. like my podcast that right. I'm creating, a sheriff in his inmates. <laughs> plug, 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 that. plug. Yeah. <laughs> so it, that's just for name recognition so people know the angle that we're coming from. I love it. I love but yeah, it. so we have uh, you know pointed our corrections officers from simply being uh, turned uh, key turners, you know, putting people in a yeah, cage and right. turning the key and locking them yes. in there and maybe shoving food through a food slot into actual uh, empathetic caregivers. Yeah. So they're the ones who are leading our programming in the jail, our vocational programming, our mental health programming. We certified 22 corrections officers when I took over as uh, mental health officers. So, uh, you know, when you see these people in a, in a badge and a uniform, just like we all uh, in this line of work were on a daily basis, now sitting across the table from these folks or sitting in front of them in a classroom and giving them support and guidance, uh, it, it changes the whole atmosphere. Oh, it and does. And it changes the perception of somebody who's come in and out of the system time and time again to finally go, whoa, wait a second. Somebody in uniform actually cares about me. Yeah, right. It's the little things. It is the little things. Um, all right. Now, we're going to get into, so this, so far, listeners, this is going to be uh, somewhat of a two-part interview uh, at our break point for music and do our Father's Day shout-outs. I did not forget all of the brothers' Father's Day. Happy belated Father's Day, Sheriff, as a Thank matter you. of fact. Sal. Thank you. Thank you. you Happy too. Father's Day for the brothers. Too, okay. Uh, those shout-outs are coming uh, today. I did promise you guys that, and we will deliver on that. Uh, but tell us about the mandatory monthly de-escalation training. Yes. So we are very proud of that. And again, it goes back to uh, a member of my command staff, Chris Peeler, who is uh, a longtime servant of the Kane County Sheriff's Office. I think he's rolling up on 28 years with us and a a longtime SWAT operator, but also just 
good overall citizen, right? Mm -hmm. So he has a lot of respect from people in the community and a lot of respect from people at the office. So it was uh, his and my concept to, uh, to get away from putting a police officer on a, on a shooting line once or twice a year and just punching holes in paper right. for their qualification to building a monthly component that puts them through stress-induced environments. And it is firearms training at the right. end of the day, but that stress-induced environment uh, focuses on de-escalation first, so using verbal commands, doing everything you can to, to reduce the likelihood you have to use any force. And then if you do have to use force, you're using the minimal amount necessary to affect that arrest. So if you repeat this, if you just like in coaching, yeah. if, if you go to practice and you practice consistently, unfortunately, we really only get to it once a month, but it's still dramatically better than, right. uh, than many other police agencies. Uh -huh. you, get, you get to this coaching, this practice once a month. When you are in a real-time environment and, and your, your blood pressure is raised and, and you know, your, your brain is a bit frenzied, that muscle memory of that practice allows you to operate in a much more efficient and responsible manner. So we use the, the Delnor Hospital hostage incident, which is relatively uh, infamous in the yeah, area, if yeah. you're familiar with that. I so am. we had a corrections officer, about 18 years of experience at the time. He didn't get much training since he first came on the, the agency 18 years earlier, other than standing on that line and punching holes in the paper right. once a year. So we put him one-on-one -on -one with somebody who's attempting to disarm him with a shank in a hospital, and we expect him to operate effectively. That's not going to happen. Right. So that's why uh, this team was built to take all 240 sworn personnel, so that's our sheriff's deputies on the street, our corrections officers, and our court security officers, and put them all in the same line together going through this training once a month. Nice. Yeah, and, and we've seen our qualification scores uh, dramatically increase. We've seen uh, much greater efficiency and less use of force on the street because yeah. of that de-escalation de component and their, their confidence in their skill set. So we feel like over the next three to four years, we'll get some really solid metrics on what this level, next level of training brings to our staff. Right, and it brings those people together. It ties in those separate, like if, you know, there's corrections officer and then there's deputy, like, you know, it's just like mm -hmm. you know, Army, Navy, or like Cub Sox. You yeah. know, it just, it, even court, even the court way, guys, the court yeah. um, mm -hmm. deputies, right. Yeah. Who you would think would be the the lesser amongst the staff? No, everybody gets the same training. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. and that's really smart to point out, Sal. So during the Aurora protests, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping all over the place. Oh, good. And the other uh, you know protests and potential violence that we could have seen, like Aurora had throughout the next week, we we experienced a, a dramatically reduced uh, availability of personnel here on Sunday in Aurora. So we were hoping to see a much larger crowd control team. And unfortunately, 25 were able to come to Aurora because they were dedicated elsewhere. Right. So I had to activate, uh, within my own staff, 40 corrections officers to join 20 sheriff's deputies uh, throughout yeah. the next week. And it was very seamless because, yes. again, these people had already been training together for right. the last year and a half. And this is kind of like, this is, uh, in the back of my mind, something that could potentially happen you know, a year and a half yeah. ago. I need to get all these yes. guys and girls familiar with each other yes. and knowing how each other operates. And so when I had to activate them, it, like I said, it was, it was a, a beautiful team that formed from that and uh, it, very seamless. So yeah, I, uh, I believe in, uh, so I've never been a member of law enforcement. I'm a Navy veteran. I do believe in and champion that everyone should know everybody's roles mm -hmm. look the this the cook yep. needs to know how to operate the machine gun. yeah mm -hmm. um 
Pearl Harbor is a perfect example of that. Everybody should be familiar with what the other person does, yes. and the expectation um, should be the same. And it allows people to perhaps want to pursue other things inside the organization. I think that a lot of times promotion within an organization could be more robust if people knew that potential jobs are still open to them despite what classifications they don't have at the time. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's, uh, I think that's really cool. That's a really positive thing. That's well, a great point. Yeah, and, man. You know, when you talk about the muscle memory, it's like most people, I think that especially a lot of social media warriors haven't had their adrenaline kick in to the level of someone's chasing you down with a gun or even just in a sporting event, like that you go to this place or I've had parents that I've given lessons to their kids be like, well, he hits so well here. Why doesn't he hit well in the game? Or she hits so well here. Why doesn't she hit in the game? It's, all stress. it's like, because I can't recreate the stress, no matter what training, no matter what coach you have, no matter what you do, you cannot, you can try and, but it's going to, you're going to have to inflict some pain. You're going to have to do something to get that. And so that's all, that's all I pray for every night is, mm -hmm. is please allow me to, stay, you know, please allow me to stay positive amidst trial and temptation for evil. Like, please let me knee jerk reaction. Just like I can probably still rip, you know, 90 plus miles an hour because I get this, I understand the mechanism behind mm -hmm. it, you know? Yep. And that's what you're saying, especially adding empathy in it to be like, all right, we got to stack these people. So, you know, and you know, it kind of leads to the, you know, the, the opioid situation, you know. Yes, and, we are, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Hold on. Now, the time is now 8, 17 a.m. Yeah. Excellent pivot. Hold on. So <laughs> this is a good discussion, as you guys can already tell out there. Um, now, when the Aurora riots downtown happened, where were you that particular day? So we had a command post staged at the North Aurora Police Department. Okay. The reason for that is, is you know, as the sheriff's office, of course, we want to support the city of Aurora, but we also had threats that something may happen elsewhere in the county. So we, we centralized a little bit south to the south end of the county in North Aurora there, and then we had all our assets there with us and we could launch them wherever we had to. So for example, when people started heading to the outlet mall, we sent a team to the outlet mall. When people did the about face and started going downtown, right. we were able to launch a team downtown or a couple teams downtown. So um, I was stationed there most of the night in the rear with the gear. Yeah. Right. That's Somebody's got to be there, though. Yeah. Uh -huh. yes. Now, what's the number one thing the general public has wrong about law enforcement? Just one. The number one, you know, at the moment or the thing that comes most readily to mind. Uh, they have no idea. Well, I shouldn't make a generalized statement like that. Many don't have an idea of how professional their local police forces are. Uh, in, in suburban Chicago specifically. And why do I point out suburban Chicago? I can't account for Chicago PD. Right. It's way too big of a beast, and I don't know it well enough. With a long, but, storied history of whatever exactly. the heck. Exactly. Right, let's not get into the weeds, yeah. Right, but you know, right after the Aurora protest, I should say right after George Floyd, we were getting just a bevy of emails and, and phone calls about, well, Sheriff, you need to create a use of force policy. It needs to have the use of force continuum. It needs to have uh, no chokeholds in it. Um, it needs to have you know, no pressure applied, neck or above. Uh, what was one of the other very common ones? Essentially, you know, telling us that we need to get with the times and, right. and our position as folks. We've had that use of force policy in place for years. 
We are a very professional organization, very well trained, right. uh, and very accountable to our community. Oh, duty to inter intercede, which we're proud to say is part of our use of force policy, which means you yeah. know if, if a officer or deputy is, yeah. is using force and another deputy is with them and sees it and the force may be excessive, it's that deputy's duty to intercede. Duty and to intercede. You guys yeah. heard that. Now I want to plant a real quick flag here. I had that as a question to ask the sheriff and he went there on his own already. Mm -hmm. So you can see uh, the quality of the interview. Yes. Yeah, real duty to intercede. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it is it is frustrating, but just like you know, I had a, a mindset when I became sheriff about building the best relationship I could with our county board because it had always been contentious ever since I've been a cop around it. You know, always, you always yeah. hear him come back and complain about it, uh, you know, the, the sheriff's admin. And I'm like, you know what? I think the deal is you're just telling them what you need mm -hmm. instead of educating them and explaining to them uh, what it is that you need and why you need it. And hmm. then you'll, you'll develop a better relationship that way. So while it's very frustrating, I apply that to... Uh, to the community as well, where they're frustrated, uh, they're telling us where to go, uh, what information they need, right? And I have to take a deep breath many times to just go. You know what? It's just coming from a, a position of, of lack of knowledge because knowledge yeah. is power, right? It, yeah. So I got to take that deep breath and go. Hey, we're here. Here's our use of force policy, and I've been sending, I've been emailing out our use of force policy in my statement on George Floyd for the last two or three weeks to everybody that that has hit us up and wants it. So it's all but about. A lot of people like people. to jump in, you know, and, and and jump in and then not read some of the facts. Not educate the them. comments, yeah. the yeah. comments I know, on like, just be like the Jack, comments on you guys's popcorn. yeah the yeah. the comments on you guys's Facebook page. I have to say, from time to time, are some of the most ignorant, outrageous, ignorant. Yeah uncouth, yeah. wild statements that you've ever seen on social media. This well, shit is just crazy. I, and and to, to point to that, like, I think that's a that's an overarching point that, you know, no matter what, like, you, it, it's a pattern of disrespect in our society amongst each other, amongst here. It's, like, almost expected. Right. You know, to, like, people aren't going to, they're going to beep at you. They're not going to go out your way out. But I think, like, the only way, we've said this this whole time we're doing this podcast, like, a, a big idea, some... Communication, some sort of connection of humans, because at the end of the day, the blood's red. Yeah. You know, right. Like, and you know what? That's I view it as cowardice when you see those statements on there. Yeah. And from time to time, I will invite those people to join our forums or you know some of our our virtual events on Facebook Live. My coffee with the sheriff. Right. They won't show up. They won't come. They won't ask questions on an open yes. format. I mean, if you really want to get information, or if you really want to hammer on me and bring a point home. Go to that forum. Meet me in person. You got all my contact information on our website. I tell people all the time, let's meet for coffee. Yeah. Let's talk this out. And you do do nobody that. Shows. And nobody <laughs> shows up. That's crazy. Yeah. You, and uh, so that's another thing. Uh, this is a very good discussion. That was another thing I was going to ask, too, in a later question, because I've seen the initiatives that you make in terms of outreach. And here's something that I have to say. For communities of color who feel like the police are other than them. They live there, we live here. There is a wall of separation. We're not approachable. We're not shopping at the same stores. They don't want anything to do with us except give us tickets. You actually are on there. I've seen some of your posts where you, the, the one I love the most, there was a brother in one of the Kane County, um, he was a detainee. He got, I believe, um, his GED. He got some certification. You posted with him and said, if anyone can hire, you've done this a few times, mm -hmm. if anyone can hire or is out there hiring, here's my cell phone number, 
this young man just completed this, that, and the other, and you are standing there advocating for these guys mm-hmm. to get jobs, mm-hmm. to get them back out into um, a, a productive, to be a productive force in their community, in their lives. I had not seen that. I don't think ever. Yeah. That is something that speaks volumes. So the reason why it's so frustrating when you see these comments is because if these keyboard warriors would just scroll down a little bit more, they could have seen something refuting whatever stupid comment they're putting (laughs) out there on the internet. And like you said, they don't come to the meetings. They don't come... Right. They always got something to say, but they never show up. So... um, you know, people need to understand that they should they should really look into what um, the sheriff's department or any department, any agency is doing mm-hmm. before they start Pretty talking cool. smack. Yeah, we do yeah. have a lot of uh, I've lost a lot of friends in law enforcement and the prosecutor's office over the last year and a half because of my advocacy for people in custody. I bet. And they, they think I'm being soft on crime. I bet they think I'm uh, helping out a demographic that does not need to be helped out. But. You know, that's just a very antiquated mindset to have. When I take over as sheriff, and I know that there's 6% uh, black population in our community, and there's upwards of 46% black in my jail, there is a serious problem. Right. And if I don't do anything about it, I'm complicit. Hell yeah. So that is why, you know, as soon as I stepped in, I had to hit the ground running. And I had to start making change. And they think that, you know, I'm just in there making friends with the inmates and playing slap and tickle. Absolutely not. We set up some very structured programming two months into my term. Um, and I have to credit Judy Dawson, my, my programs manager, for everything that she did to get the ball rolling. So when I see gentlemen and women walking through a very intense small business program and doing their homework, performing highly, when I see them in our new recovery pod, I know we're getting to opioids yep. later, but when I see them in the recovery pod, um, group sessions once or twice, actually it's a minimum of twice a week, doing homework there too, men sitting in circles with tears in their eyes and bonding with each other and, and creating an environment in a jail that is actually a, a, an open and warm environment. Center? Yeah, it's, right. it's uh, you know, that makes me say, look, these people are proving themselves on a daily basis. Right. Some people say, no, they're just being on good behavior while they're in your jail. Yes, and I, mean, I say, you ever had a relative move in with you? You know that uncle? You, everybody's got that uncle, right? right. That brother-in-law <laughs> who crashes on your couch right. for way too long. Yeah. Sure, the first couple of days, he's on his best behavior. But ultimately, he can't help himself and he ruptures, right? Yep. That happens all the time in the jail. We yeah. kick people out of those programs all the time. But when I have a man like Swede Strickland, and that's who you're, you're talking about that's in that right. Facebook yep. post, yep. who is in and out of custody, I think it was four times. It, it was for moderately violent crime, ag- aggravated battery. Sure. Swede um, has some significant mental health issues. When he's in our custody and he's getting the proper mental health care from our mental health team and he's, he's on the proper medication, he is the most squared away individual I've seen, one of the most squared away, probably top five individuals I've seen come through us. Just articulate, bright, outstanding job in our small business program and in the, in the model of business he developed. And then I go with him to a courtroom to advocate for his exit because we got two different employers that will take him right. on the outside. We had AID for mental health on the south end of the county here. Do intake on him. Oh, yeah, that's him. right. Shout out to AID. Yes. Yep. Do intake on him. So when he returned to the community, he was going to have that connection for continued mental health support. He's got a job now. And our position is, hey, look, we can keep locking this guy up or we can actually give him a chance and see how he performs. 
So they went to the bond reduction hearing and they marched police officers up there to testify what a violent individual he was. And in every circumstance, it all ended with when we finally arrested him or we finally pulled him over after the incident, he was in tears because he realized what he did. Yeah. It, was, it was a mental health issue. And when he's not controlled, he acts out. Okay, right. let's finally wrap him and support him as he goes back to the community. So end of the day, gavel drops. Sweet took nine years for aggravated battery mm -hmm. in the Department of Corrections. Nine years. Damn. Um, and so I understand you have to atone for the crimes that you've done. Uh, but when it does come down to basically an illness and we put a man in a box for nine years, that was, uh, I went to see him the day he left the jail for Department of Corrections. That was one of the three, four times I've walked out of the jail already with tears coming down my face. That's sad, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not the proper way for the system to operate. It isn't. And it, it makes me sick to my stomach. So that's why my staff and I will rage against this, again, antiquated um, mindset, this antiquated criminal justice system, because the racial disparity, number one, is horrific, and uh, the lack of mental health support uh, for those who do have that illness is, is saddening as well. Um, the time is now 8.29 a.m. We're going to take a quick five-minute break, and then we'll be back with wow. Sheriff Ron Hain on Good Morning Aurora. Can't sleep at night, always thinking about you. Start all over. I would be wishing today on a foley clover, and leaving would be the last thing on my mind. If I could turn back the hands of time, oh baby, oh darling, I can't hold out much longer. But the pain is getting deep. But if I had just one more try, I would be years alone until the day I die. And we would have a All right, we're back on Good Morning Aurora. The time is now 8.35 a.m. We are here with Sheriff Ron Hain, Kane County Sheriff's Department, and we're glad to have him. Now, I do have to give those shout-outs real quick before we get into part two of our interview. So, Happy Father's Day to all the brothers out there, including my man Gerardo the Mailman, uh, Miranda, Properties, all that stuff, all the brothers, Sal, sure. um, my father. So shout-outs down the line. Oh, boy. Endure. Shout-out to your dad. Um, everybody. Primo Squad. Shout-outs. Treadwell. Chad. Everybody. All the brothers and sisters around the world. Everybody's dad. But I also have to give a special one to a very dear friend of mine, Bob Lockwood. Shout out, shout out. All right, Sheriff, going into the next section of what we're talking about and our questioning, um, the ending of qualified immunity, long seen as a wedge issue between communities of color and police, appears to be a demand going forward. That is to say, communities of color feel that while it exists, there can exist no true trust of police officers. As a member of law enforcement, can you perhaps see that point of view as it stands? Certainly. 
That's a sweet answer right there, right? It was. <laughs> I, I, you have, you I took have time to, with that question, so, too. So that's why, and it was such a great question. I, I had a one-word answer for it. Yep. <laughs> but it, it's so important, not just as a head of a police agency, but also as an elected official, to listen. Right. You know, so many people just want to close their ears to certain members of the community because, hey, they're a felon or they're a gangbanger. Right. Uh, we don't uh, negotiate with terrorists, you know, that philosophy. Yeah. Right. But I'm sorry, everybody's got a voice. I don't care if they're in the jail. I don't care if they're a gangbanger on the street. There's a reason why they're upset about something. There's probably, uh, maybe more importantly, a reason why they are a gangbanger. There's a reason why they are in jail. Let's correct that. And the first step to that is actually giving them some support. And and maybe that support is just an ear, right? Right. And so when we start turning people off in the community, when when we shut the doors to them, that's when the real agitation begins. And that's when we're not doing our jobs. So... You know, when I say we, the police always take the brunt of all this hate, right? Yeah. That, you know, we're the ghost-faced, uh, long-arm extension of the government. We're the boots on the ground. We're the people uh, who, who take all the blame for, you know, the, the poor minority relationships, right. the racial disparities in the jail. It's got to be all our, fault, all, all our fault. We're, we're the racist ones, right? So I think it's very important to have a broader conversation, which I don't hear a whole lot of people having this broad conversation, how this all got started, and how we fix it. Let's look all the way back to the end of slavery, okay? One of the primary ways that black Americans were migrated north was on the Mississippi River. Right, and there's there's great books at the uh, the Elgin Historical Library with photos in it, you know, uh, beautiful paintings Mm -hmm. of Black families on rafts pushing their way up the Mississippi to the Illinois River to the Fox River before they were dams. Right, and they would stop in these little, uh, you know, small sections of Aurora and small sections of Elgin. Uh, Elgin's was created uh, just if you know where the Elgin Library is, just north of that, um, in, in a small section of town. Mm-hmm. And Aurora was on the east side of the river where these black families were pointed to live in. Right. So, do you think that these black families received the same schooling? Certainly As the not. white families around them, do you think that the parents got the same jobs Certainly that not. the white families did around? Do you think they were making the same income? Do you think they lived in the same quality of house? No, no, no. Fast forward a couple decades, the yeah. restrictions continue. Right. You know, they are zoned into an area with very little opportunity. Right. Fast forward a couple of generations. What happens when you're not provided the same opportunities as those around you? The frustration continues to fester and build and grow, and it still stays low income with very little support in that area. Right. Many people will turn to addiction. Many people will turn to drugs. Yeah. Many people will turn to the black market to make money. Hey, right. if you ain't going to give me the same opportunities to create wealth, uh, in the in the legitimate yeah. economy, I'm going to create my own economy. Right. You fast forward yeah. generations, as those low income areas turn to the black market, where where gang activity becomes part of the culture, where again drug use and and, and drug trafficking becomes part of the culture. Who are you going to send in there to try and clean it up? The police, right. right? So I remember I got hired in the '90s under the Bill Clinton Cops Grant. And the whole point was, it was the height of the crack cocaine epidemic, gang crime activity, shootings. Let's put all these boots on the ground. Let's go get those bad guys. Right. Well, where are the bad guys? They're in the high crime neighborhoods. Well, where's that at? Don't worry. Go through your field training. We'll show you when you get out there. So as a brand new cop, you know, all fired up, 22 years old now at that point. Right. New badge, new gun, handcuffs, all the gear. Let's go get those bad guys, right? So I got pointed to those high crime communities. Guess what they were? 
the low income color. communities. Yeah, right. What is the racial demographic of a low income community? National statistics are 60% black, 30 to 35% Hispanic, the rest other. Right. You know, right. White, Asian, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So who are the bad guys, quote unquote, that we were appointed to go get off the streets? But those people, the, those minorities, majority black, right. that lived in those low-income communities. So you see that frustration build over time as you send us, again, ghost-faced extension, long arm of the government in there to target our own citizens. Right. We're going to get those bad guys. That's where this antagonistic relationship all began. Yep. This is where it all Facts. started. Okay? Is it all our fault, the police? No. This no. is what we were trained. This is what we were appointed to do. And this happens across the country, this mindset that we have to target our own citizens. And I like to reflect on sheriffs back in the 1800s. And I don't want to get into some country and Western kind no, of talk no, no. here. This is, this is significant, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah please. So but sheriffs in yeah. the 1800s have the mindset that I try to invoke here in Kane County. And that is, look, I'm not going to tolerate criminal activity on our streets, but I'm going to get you off our streets, and when you end up with me at the Kane County Jail, I have to put my other hat on, and that's custodian of the jail. And I'm going to do everything I can to correct you if you're a Kane County resident and put you back in the community finally supported right. like, yeah. you, like you were not ever before to give you those opportunities right. that your ancestors never had. We're going to give you jobs. We're going to get you that addiction counseling that, that maybe steered you down the wrong path. And, and we're going to get you all the training you need, and we're going to be there for you when you're out in the community. And it is my mindset that it's not just on the sheriff's office to start leading this on the outside. And you're going to see a lot more of that over the next year. You're going to see a lot of these programs and support mechanisms on the outside in the community run by our office. But every police department should have jobs programs. Every police department should have uh, employment connections for those who don't have opportunities. Why do we have to lead this charge? Because, again, that's how we rebuild this relationship. We've gotten it wrong, not just the police, but government in general. We've gotten it wrong for generations now. This is one of the leading ways we can dig out of this, is, yeah. is to put a different hat on. Of course, keep our streets clean. Get the guns off, get the drugs off. I was one of the most aggressive law enforcement officers in Kane County throughout my career. I am not soft on crime now. I'm soft on people. Right. Yeah. This is the hardest on crime anybody's ever been by having this philosophy and actually correcting human behavior. I'm not putting band-aids right. on things. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that I, you know, as a, as a young brother who's been, you know, unfairly stopped, questions, all kind of stupid stuff, I think that what has been lacking in uh, law enforcement as a whole has always consistently been that uh, em that empathetic side towards those communities. I really do believe that had there been a stronger component of basic fairness in the history of policing, if the proverbial book had actually been applied in the days of the 50s and 60s going forward, our situation as a, uh, a country across racial lines with police and people of color would have been so much better. Uh, which leads me uh, to my next question. With many legal outcomes at the court's uh, disposal, court supervision, home monitoring, weekends uh, at the jail and such, people of color have long felt that the book is the default in sentencing against them. Slammed. Uh, the outcome for a similar offense, drugs, petty crime, vandalism, loud vehicle, etc., for a white person is dramatically different than that of a person of color. Do they have a point? So here's how that 
kind of builds. And, and I give this speech to a lot of uh, young black and Latino men. So you're growing up in a, a lower income area, you're growing up in an area where there's less opportunity, right? Um, you're exposed to, again, a culture that is a little more open and accepting to criminal activity. Mm -hmm. You catch a case at a very young age, right? whether it be a small drug case, maybe you hopped in a stolen car with a friend, took it for a ride because that was a cool thing to do. You get busted at 18. You're going to come into jail. You're going to get, again, more contact with police because you live in an area Certainly. that's targeted by Certainly. police. You're going to come into jail. You're going to get a criminal history. Okay, that's, that's step number one. You got a criminal history. You're going to go back out in the community. Maybe you get uh, you know, your bond reduced or you're able to post bond on that first charge. You go back out, you're right back doing the same stuff. You're, right. you're, you're slinging a little bit of weed or, or coke or heroin. Uh, maybe you jump in that stolen car, you get busted again. Okay, that's how your, your bond increases. That's yep. how your sentence increases is you know, additional criminal history yes. and consideration of the crime. Okay, so when they say that white people don't get the same uh, treatment in court as far as their bond goes or their sentencing mm -hmm. goes, it's really because in our communities, white people don't have as much contact with law enforcement because, again, they're not living in those uh, criminal culture zones, those criminal okay. culture areas. So, again, I got I to gotta revert back to how do we solve this? We have to create opportunities, real, true opportunities right. in those zones where people continue to reoffend. And, and I saw a really interesting quote right after George Floyd as I was looking up uh, FBI statistics on police-involved shootings. And it was essentially the best way to uh, avoid violent encounter with police is to not commit crime. Oh, yeah. Facts. So, yes. Um, um, yeah. I've long said – I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, yeah. I have, I have long, I've long said that, you know, one's case would be stronger if you're not shooting a Tech-9 – Right. At the whoever the hell at nine o'clock in the morning, a stray bullet of which hits a little girl two yeah, blocks like... away. You 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 would be doing so much more for the culture, for the people to take those positive cues and adopt those as mm -hmm. opposed to explaining yourself with tattoos in your face, standing in front of the judge for shooting a tech nine at nine o'clock in the morning. Yes, that is very true. That is very true. Personal responsibility and being a squared away good representative of your community and fighting against those odds and breaking those cycles on your own as a people would stand you in great stead not doing criminal activity in the first damn place. Yeah. Right. But, but I, very can see, true. I can see some, very but true. I can understand some frustration in that um, where it's like, it's easy to say, and it was, it, it, we talked to Brittany Peterson, who's a criminal, mm -hmm. running for judge. Great interview. Um, yeah. Well, and she said, you know, made a good point was like the people, it, a lot of people get a parking ticket maybe or never or never have any interaction with the criminal justice system at all. So it's like finding a way. It's easy to be like, yeah, you know, that needs to change. But when it's really not in your way and like there's someone else has that stone in their eye, it's easy to kind of like walk away. But when sure. it's like in, you are in that community, you are dealing in that situation. It's like that anger is real. It is. You know? And people do a horrible, we in general do a horrible job of, again, diagnosing why that guy was standing on the corner right. with the Tech Nine and why he yep. decided to have tattoos on his face. Let's yep. look all the way back in his history. He never had a father. His mother was yeah. drug addicted. Yep. Um, you know, the, the story repeats itself throughout my jail. Yep. They don't have a positive mentor and they live in a society where going to jail is cool. Right. So, you know, our criminal justice system locally thinks that a threat of a 5'9", 
15, 20 year sentence is really going to intimidate somebody not to commit crime in the first place. Guess what? It doesn't. Right. The system does not work anymore. So to have this mindset, and I don't know how we, we can't get out of this, but to have the idea that locking somebody in a cage, I who know. at the end of the day doesn't know. really know any better for an extended period of time, is going to solve any issues. Because yeah. look, folks are going to come back to the community eventually. You yeah. got to correct them. <laughs> you have to correct them. I agree. Uh, if you had to surmise why that is, though, why, you know, there's there's many people who, when you say this, many people in law enforcement who believe that this is pie in the sky, sheriff. This is. Come on, Sheriff, we're going to address people's mental health, and then that'll stop recidivism. Why is there such a... Why is there? Why are there so many in law enforcement who don't believe that? A lot of conservative views, and again, I'll use that word antiquated views, so uh, you know, this is the way we've always done it. Conservative with a small my, C, yeah. One of my most hateful, <laughs> most hated answers to anything. Yeah. Well, we've always done it this way. This is a criminal justice system. There's no room for compassion in the law. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The law is black and white. However, there is room for compassion in well, humans. Same thing with capitalism, right? We talk about adding, adding compassion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was a hell of a conversation. Yeah. Chop that another time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a good conversation. Yeah. Um, that, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, if if we are all seriously like three men who are decision makers in this world are sitting in this room together right now, you know, and it's like. I'm sick of another week of this person is that like this is a, this is an outrage. These are these things until yes. it's like we stand up. And I think this is what if those things are in place for a certain reason, they're afraid of these conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had uh, I, I, you guys know the work we've been doing out of the jail for the last year and a half and what we've been advocating for. And, you know, the, the vast number of uh, people being held on nonviolent crimes for very high bonds, upwards yeah. of half a million dollars. Yes, times, that's another um, one. It is, is outrageous. And I w it was always my goal to reduce our jail population by at least 20% within my first two years in office. Okay, And I thought I was going to accomplish that through all the jobs programs yeah. and addiction programs, but I actually accomplished that from COVID-19. So <laughs> I can't take credit for it. So we worked together right Shout out to COVID-19. <laughs> no. Or just that. Or only yes. that. Only that. Yeah. So we were able... Uh, right off the bat, by deferring a lot of those people being held on nonviolent crimes and, and getting them back out of jail, but also giving them support yeah. when they get out, and through uh, just general deferral at bond call. So when people are originally arrested, the judge will just right now let them go on their signature for nonviolent crimes. Mm. Right. Um, so we had a recidivism rate in the old way of doing it, upwards of 60%. Damn. Mm. We have a recidivism rate right now under COVID protocol of 4%. So that's all those nonviolent people who, that's 4% of them have come back into custody at the jail since March 13th. That speaks volumes it does. about a direction that our system needs to go in. Absolutely. And I can get into the, the, the conversation about our capitalistic conservative talk about saving money for the county and our yeah. citizens. The right. fact that right. uh, just during that three-month time, I saved $300,000 in our jail because yeah. I didn't have to pay for people's food and medical. And, and again, all our jobs programs and our supporter programs, I don't use a cent of tax dollars for it. It's all paid by revenue uh, uh, commission from inmate commissary funds. Right. Yeah. So, I mean... The benefit to the community in whole is, is very clear yeah. to me right now. And it, it's really proved our point. So I keep hammering on that any chance I can get. Is this is the direction we need to head in, folks? Now let's right. put these supporter programs 
out in the community here. Let's put this brick and mortar up. And we do have St. Augustine College. Shout out to St. Augustine College here in Aurora. Oh, hey, there you um, go. You. Uh, on, on Lake Street, they gave us that brick and mortar to start running our programs out of there. It'll begin early August. And you'll I see heard it. that early August it starts. Yep. Oh. Kane County Sheriff's vocational programs That's run awesome. out of St. Augustine's right here in Aurora. So special thanks to them for opening that up. Nice. Um, so uh, something that is very important to me uh, and to Sal here and to the show, as a matter of fact, uh, and this is a topic I want to bring up to you. Uh, when the uh, when the Henry Pratt incident happened, tragic incident here in Aurora that we all know about, um, we saw the law enforcement response. I, as a resident and a person of color, young brother, was very happy at that response, and we were united. Uh, shout out to Bally Doyle. They had the Aurora Strong benefit thing there. I was there. You might have seen me, for some of you listeners, I was slinging uh, Shepherd's Pie mm -hmm. and was doing a damn good job of it. Um, and we really gave back to law enforcement, had a good time. Uh, fire department, excuse me, fire department, shout out AFD. Henry, Henry Pratt, we were united. Now, as a city, we are completely ununited. How do we get back to unity? You know, it's a constant pendulum uh, swing. Throughout my career, I've seen it. Uh, when I became a cop in the late 90s, we were divided. You know, people did not like the police. Uh, a lot of antagonistic relationships right. uh, in the minority community, even then. 9-11 uh, hit. And then a calm came about the country, and everybody's united again. Right. And then it slowly swung back to, yeah. we hate cops. Right. And then, you know, we had a couple upswings in there, and then COVID hit. And... We were everybody's favorite again, you know, praise the first responders. And then right on the heels of COVID, George Floyd. Yeah. Now we're all divided again. Yeah. So it's it's nothing huh, new to seems me. Seems like that's a plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? Here's the it, it's like he but what he talks about is true. Like you look at the I'm looking at it from I'm looking at it from the digital marketing, social media yeah. aspect of it. Like the things I'm trying to do are literally Okay, I have to tailor the met. Well, this is even before the podcast started, before Good Morning Aurora started. Like, you're trying to run a business amongst this time. I'm trying to make sure the climate is right for what I'm trying to do. And Max, I mean, and yeah, you're right. Like, for example, um, some of the clients of the business were members of law enforcement. So we're gear, we had been gearing towards them. Yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, uh, Keith Cross and his award. Okay, that was great. Big it shout was out to Keith Cross. big shout out to Keith Cross. Great man. Um, it was a, it was great to display law enforcement, and then the next thing you know, George Floyd happens, and then now, even though we're making awards for a guy who's retiring, that is siding with the man. You know what I'm right. saying? And it's like, well, it was, it was great for a black-owned business <laughs> to be doing that, and now look, now we're siding with the man. What is the, what's the deal? Yeah. Um, a lot of it is being underpinned by ignorance and not reaching out and making those connections, but a lot of it is pure emotion too. And how do we get back? Maybe that's a, you know, a statement that has a lot to it. But. I think I'll summarize it here. And I kind of pointed to it before. So in times like these, it's well recognized on the streets in Aurora, all the way up to Carpentersville, that includes Elgin, that uh, people know what the sheriff's office stands for. They right. know what our position is in supporting uh, you know, people in the jail, and I'm I'm proud of and and how it bleeds out into the street and our mindset of our patrol deputies too. Um, they're very empathetic and and very supportive of everybody they come across, and I'm proud of the fact that 
this word didn't come out on the streets from social media or, or some news show. This word came out on the streets from inside of our jail. Right. Or people returning to the community from inside of our jail and going, whoa, Sheriff Hayne and his crew, this is like nothing we've ever seen before. Right. This is all different. And I hear this all the time Good. about this, this culture that we've created and this relationship we've created. And we saw it um, during the weeks of the protests. You know, we, we would be in some of our larger cities and maybe a group of people would start to aggress upon one of our patrol cars, and they get up on it and go, oh, it's the sheriff's office, it's all good, and they turn around yeah. and walk away. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and that is because, and out in the community, again, I, I get flack, it just happened uh, last week from a couple uh, of elected officials locally here who called me and said, why are you listening to those people? Why are you doing uh, anything on social media with them? You know, they're not good people. And, and I say, the same reason why I'm having this phone conversation with you and listening yeah. to you. It's vitally important we listen to everybody. Right. We listen to them as well. If we, again, I said it before, if we shut them out, we have these horribly antagonistic relationships. Exactly. So to me, again, that's how we get unified once again is not fighting like children. Yeah. Okay? Bring everybody to the table. Let's kumbaya yeah. this shit. Right. Sorry if you don't allow swear words yeah, on, on the podcast. It's all, it's all good. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this fires me up because we're not doing our job if we close people out. Yeah, I don't I care agree. if you think they're crazy. I don't care if you think they're a felon. It doesn't matter. 100%. They have a voice. Right. They're a monologue, baby. Yep. It's, it's that unique connection that we all have. And when that gets lost, or you look at someone who doesn't, who doesn't realize that they're made in the image of our, you know, whatever put us here. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, what's the message that you, a member of law enforcement, would like to give to the next generation of Aurora youth? There are so Kane, many... We're going to say Kane County youth. Or, okay. Yeah. Thank you. There, there are so many opportunities mm -hmm. here in the city. There are people that want to help you. Uh, there are good role models here now. We don't have that, uh, that culture that was here in the 90s of just you know demilitarized zones, as one police officer used to put it back yeah. in the day. We have uh, you know, implements of, whether it be your church, the park district, uh, uh, sports activities in schools, uh, teachers seek out those positive mentors. Identify with a man or a woman that, hey, maybe that person really snaps you in line. Maybe that person, you know, while, while they snap you in line, they also give you that supportive word or that, that supportive guiding uh, mission. Latch on to those people. If you don't have it at home, latch on to those positive elements, how few they may be, and follow them because you will get out of whatever rut you're in you will not want to go down the road of gang activity or, or drug dealing because, look, the system right now is built against you. You will get arrested. Y'all heard it right there. Mm -hmm. You heard it right there. Mm -hmm. You will get arrested. Uh, your, your criminal history will build. Jail is not fun. Even in our, our best recovery pod, it still sucks. And the bonds will increase, the sentences will increase, and the cycle will continue until you finally grasp on to that mentor. You better... Dang. Please don't let me be your mentor inside the jail. <laughs> let me be your right. mentor out in the community or, or right. let yourself find somebody positive. Yep. You're not trying to make the Raymond Noodle dip and all that and then meet the sheriff. Don't do that. Yes. Just keep it cool. Keep it positive. That's a very good message. Um, all right. So I think for our very last question, uh, the show does end on a positive note. Uh, the time is now 8.59 a.m. Just turned to 9 o'clock. Uh, what do you love most about Aurora? This is, I, I, I did want to ask that. I got to pick one thing, huh? Mm-hmm. I love the east side. 
Damn, I gotta give a, a geographic East Siders over here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, the West Side's pretty, you know. You got the ornate homes. The East Side's just more real to me. And, and you know, Kane County. I always say, being a sheriff's deputy here, yeah. you could be in the middle of a gang fight on the East Side mm-hmm. uh, and, and go to a call ten minutes later, pushing cows off the road out in the country. Right. So <laughs> that's just the life of a Kane County. Right. Or, or the the big wealthy homes in the in the tri city areas. Yeah. But you know, the East Side is just uh, such an entrenched culture. Really rooted in, at the end of the day, positivity. Right. Uh, rooted in family. And it's just real people. Like, you know that you're going to get realism from anyone that you, you're working with on that side of town. Right. And anywhere else. Elgin's the same way, too. I, I got to give a shout out to Elgin. I love that. Shout community. out Elgin. Right. Yeah. Uh, Has so a nice downtown. Some of the most yeah. progressive like overall mindset of a large town I've ever seen. Yep. And it seems like at the end of the day, everybody there is a family. It's a, it's a really unique feeling. Aurora's a little more segmented, but uh, the realism of that side of town has always intrigued me. Um, Sal, what's something uh, positive for our listeners to take into the week with them? Well, you know, one of the things that we talk about here is usually on Mondays, we, you know, look at something small, you know, with, you know, your work with all this rehabilitation. Sometimes the people who may be, aren't in your, you know, in your custody or there, don't know what to do. So it's like taking, we've been almost eight weeks now, 10 weeks almost. Mm-hmm. We start on Monday and say, we're going to do one thing that our Friday selves will be thankful for. So it's like, you know, silly. Some of it was like, you know what? I'm going to spend better time cleaning my teeth. I'm going to brush my teeth with my left hand instead of my right. Or I'm going to be more active. But it's like, now looking back, I had some things I wanted to get over and starting to see things manifest. So Starting at the beginning, so what's one thing or one thing that just man makes you you? Like your aura is there, like you you know you. I know that you're you're out here doing good for us. You know what's something you can give them? Like just be like, let's go. You know, like get up. The community yeah. in general. Yeah. Man, so whenever I'm like in that rut, even the Monday rut, uh, or or I'm down, I always reflect on my family, and, and every family looks a little bit different, right? I, I'm recently remarried uh, to just. Absolutely incredible woman. Shout out to my wife. Congrats. Shout out to the wives out there. Literally Shout out to the wives. The, the, yeah. the, coolest, the, right. the coolest, most beautiful woman inside and out. That made this official episode yeah. now. <laughs> coolest, most beautiful woman inside and out. And, and together we have four kids, 17, 16, uh, 8, and 4. Beautiful and, family. Uh, the cohesiveness that is built there um, and, and just the beautiful gelling that it all is. And she's kind of the glue that holds it all together and makes it so positive. Again, like we, my answer to, you know, what do I say to the youth in the community? There's always going to be somebody around you um, that has that beautiful light, okay? E- even in your darkest moments or, you, or your worst Mondays, focus on that person that's got that beautiful light. And it could be your, your best friend that, you know, the, your best guy friend that you, you've known forever, but he somehow builds that positivity in you. Mm-hmm. Let that warmth inside you uh, push you forward to accomplish things and get out of your comfort zone. That's the number one thing. Everybody's goal yeah. on Monday to be thankful for on Friday is just once this week, get out of my comfort zone and do mm-hmm. something I wouldn't normally do. You heard it. Yeah, you heard it. That, yeah, use, for use real. that light to Tell push you into that comfort zone. That was I think a that brings it thing. full circle to the unity. If you follow the warmth, you follow the light more. Because you know when you're gone. My wife is the same way. Like, I know when I'm far from her, I feel that distance in the warmth when you come back. And that's what draws me to make that right decision to, yep. oh, I want to give up. Mm-hmm. You know, she's kept me going through so many things that, yep. you know, continue to push forward. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, for myself, speaking on our Monday selves, I'm just going to try to 
better myself as the week goes on. Uh, Good Morning Aurora is proud to let you guys know that coming soon we'll be doing good video work and having some uh, episodes to see during a live stream and things like that. So just plugging away because Good Morning Aurora is, uh, is a blessing and I'm happy about it. But also I'd like to say that have dialogue and move the needle in our everyday lives. This was an important episode because um, we and we have appreciated the Kane County Sheriff's Office before what's going on in our community now. So this is to highlight what has been done that's good and has moved the ball forward, whether you saw it or not. So stay woke, stay positive, stay healthy, hug somebody today, and stay tuned to Good Morning Aurora because we have more positive things coming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we were joined today by the Kane County Sheriff, Ron Hain, and we appreciate him for coming on in. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. And from Good Morning Aurora to the rest of you, peace out. Yeah.